Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. And welcome to the book of Ephesians. Hallelujah. Okay, um, when Christian said we're going to do a um, Bible study um, every so often, I was uh, like a cat on a hot tin roof, a cat with three bowls of milk, a rat with a gold tooth. I was so excited because um, I, I just love, love, love um, studying the Word of God. Um, one of the things uh, we're going to look at, I'm just going to do a quick introduction to, uh, not a, a, about Ephesians, but about the way in which uh, the New Testament was written, but to give you some insight and so we can understand more deeply uh, the book of Ephesians. But the, the um, and Amanda touched on it today, by the, uh, there was a guy called the, uh, by the name of Saul who's contributed to writing the book of Ephesians. Saul was a uh, was born in Tarsus and he was a what they call he was a Jew but he was also a Roman but he was also a Greek okay so he could really take on um, different titles you know it's like um, uh, we, we can have different titles we can be a school teacher and something else uh, so for him he he could he could walk into Greece and be part of Greek culture he could walk into a Jewish place and be part of Jewish culture and he could walk into another place and be part of Roman culture and he was accepted in all three categories. A lot of people say that Saul changed his name to Paul. In actual fact, what the truth is, is that Saul was his Jewish name and Paul was his Roman name. Uh, it's like uh, some of us, uh, if I was an Italian, I'd be called Pedro, you know, uh, with being my Italian name, but I'm not Italian. Uh, what would it be in Dutch, Peter? No, what would Peter be in Dutch? Peter? Pierre, maybe, Pierre. So what would happen is Paul, Paul was known as Saul because he lived predominantly as a Jew. He was, he was trained by one of the greatest rabbis of the time uh, and he became a very fast-climbing person uh, within, the, uh, within the Jewish faith and he wanted to really be uh, a zealot for the Jewish faith. And you've got to understand the Jews at the time. He was part of the Pharisees and, and their belief was that for, for the 400 years of silence that they just had through, uh, through uh, the Old Testament into the New Testament was the only way that Israel could be restored is if 100% of all Jewish people turned back to God. That's a big order, isn't it? So your faith system is that if people aren't worshipping God, Yahweh, the Jewish way, then they are the enemy because that's going to prevent Israel being restored. So you can see why he was so zealous to kill Christians, because to him, he saw Christians as being contrary to that endeavour to see Israel restored. Okay, so this gives you some insight why he was such a zealot. So he's out, he's out crucif uh, crucifying Christians. He stones the uh, Stephen. Uh, well, he was there when Stephen was stoned. Uh, so he was a man of great fear. And he gets, on the road to Damascus, he gets this massive revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus, is obviously, he speaks to him directly. Um, for, for poor old Saul, anyone hung on a tree was cursed. That was his belief system. Jesus had been hung on a tree, so therefore he was cursed in his eyes. Yet here's Jesus, the risen Lord, revealing himself to Saul, who at that time would have been one of the most zealot Jews uh, in, that, in that era, 
Uh, and he changed like that. And he was converted on the road to Damascus. And then he spent the next number of years uh, understanding what the download he got from Jesus on that day. And he spends about three years in the desert. Uh, most people think that he was straight into ministry. In actual fact, he wasn't. He did a time just hanging out in the church at Antioch. Um, he spent about a total of about nine, ten years just being a person in the church, um, just getting his understanding of who Jesus actually was and is and what it meant to him. Then he starts his missionary journeys, and he has three, and then eventually he's um, arrested in Syria, uh, Caesarea, and he spends two years in jail there, and then eventually he ends up in Rome, uh, where he's imprisoned in Rome, where he writes the books that we call the prison epistles, uh, and one of those is the book of Ephesians. Okay, and he writes that, and then he's actually executed in 67 AD, um, at the age of around 70, 71 years old. Uh, he was beheaded because that's what you did to Romans. But when he was uh, first, um, first uh, saved, he kept his name as Saul. But when he realised that his mission was to the Gentiles and not to the Jews, he, he knew that by using his Jewish name, he would not be relevant to the Gentiles. So he used his Roman name, and that's when he changed his name to Paul, or he focused more on Paul. I think Saul had a bit of a bad rap anyway, because, you know, he killed a few people, and, um, you know. And if you think that your life has been really bad, and you don't wor you're not worthy of God's love, just think of Saul. Here's a guy who did horrible things to uh, Christians, and if there was any person who was probably had discounted his right to be in the family of God, uh, he probably did it, so whatever you've done can't be as bad as that, so we're all good. Okay, so the book of Ephesians is a little bit of an interesting book. It's like the book of Romans. They're the two books that Paul, Paul's contributed to uh, writing 13, and if you say he wrote Hebrews 14, we're not sure who actually wrote Hebrews. Um, but um, the, these two books are fundamentally different to every other book he wrote. All the other books he wrote was for a reason. They, like to the um, Corinthians, he wrote a book uh, because there was issues in the church and he wrote to talk about those issues in the church. Same with the Galatians because they were being a bit foolish and he had, you know, he says, oh, you foolish Galatians. You know what I mean? And, and he's talking to them about some of the things that they were thinking because they were thinking about that circumcision was the answer to uh, making it into the kingdom of heaven uh, where he said, no, it's not in circumcision of flesh but the circumcision of our heart. But in Ephesians, there is no reason for writing Ephesians. There was no issue in, in Ephesus where the city was. There was this was a what we call a letter of exhortation. And the difference between, and my two, two favourite books in the Bible are actually Romans and Ephesians, and then I throw Philippians in there as well. Uh, but the two reasons I love those two books is that Romans is probably the best book on theology of individual advancement. So if you want to know how as a person to grow, read Romans. If you read Ephesians, what that'll teach you is how to be part of a church, what your role is a church, and that the church is Christ's answer to the world. And what we see in the church, in Ephesians, it's not about I, it's about we. And one of the things I get challenged by modern day Christian music is that we sing a lot of I, not a lot of we. I'd like to see all the I's change to we. We surrender. You know what I mean? We surrender. 
You know what I mean? Because we're together in this. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Ephesians. And if I can encourage you in your study, and it's cheap as chips, right? Google is great. All you got to do, uh, like I gave, I got books because, you know, that's what I do. But you can Google study notes on Ephesians and read the notes with the Bible and get a greater understanding. Because often what we don't do in, in reading is we read the Word of God from a 21st century mindset. There's a great book that if you do any study in theology, is that you read, is them after me. You need to understand first what was the original writer saying and why were they saying it. You need to say, how does it apply to us as the church? And how does it apply now to me in the 21st century as an individual? And that's how you should, and that's how you'll grow in your understanding of who Jesus is. So Ephesus. Ephesus was a major port in the Roman province. In the, it's now modern-day Turkey. And it was the crossroad, and it was the, really where they said the east meets the west. And this is where the trade routes from Asia into the, into the um, west, uh, east coming into the west. And uh, so for, for a lot of people, Ephesus was an amazing city. It had the temple to Artemis, which is also called the princess, uh, sorry, the goddess of Diana, which is the Roman name. And it's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a huge, big temple to, to Artemis. And she was the goddess of the hunt. She was the goddess of wild animals, the wilderness, childbirth and virginity. She was also the protector of young children. And she was known to bring and relieve diseases in women. Okay, she's, if you see a picture of her, she looks like she's got multiple breasts all the way down. And part of that was because she was seen as the goddess or the mother of other gods. So to understand first century theology or thinking of people was we were very, and as a, as a culture and as a people, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what um, country you come from, most people are self-centered. So what happens is I can't get pregnant, so I'll go to the god of pregnancy or fertility and I'll pray to that because that's what I need. Or I've got kidney disease, I'll go and pray to the god of kidney disease or you know, um, and we see this even in the, in the modern church where we have the patron saint of um, police is St. Michael and St. Michael is the patron saint of police and lost causes. I don't know how we link those two together, but, um, but we have these things that we pray to because often when we pray, we pray with a shopping list because we have a need and we'll pray for that need. So in this, in this time, people would often pray to different gods for different things. The god of agriculture the God of finance, the God of whatever. And the easiest way to, or the only way you could call on the God was to pronounce their name correctly. And it was a bit hard for some foreigners to actually speak the names of some of the names. And there was actually Jews who would, people want to worship Yahweh. So they'd be going, it's Yahweh. And then they'd be actually telling people how to pray. And this is how people often would pray to the gods, okay? And so... We see here in Ephesus, though, the, um, the goddess of Diana, or Artemis, was, if you went and prayed to her, you covered a lot of things. So you only had to remember one name, right? And she had an interesting thing on in her title, was rule, authority, power, and dominion, okay? 
and she had the zodiac around her neck. So all the gods of the zodiac were around her neck. So praying to Artemis meant that you could cover all your bases. And so for simple people who don't like rattling off multiple names, you just go Artemis, 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 and then you'd, that, that would be your worship and made life a lot easier. So what we see here is that Ephesus at the time was a population of about 250,000. It was ranked as one of the great cities of the Roman Empire. Antioch for the same time had 400,000. Rome had a million people, just to put it into some perspective. So Rome being the centre had a million. We're talking about Ephesus with five, uh, 250,000 people. And it had this auditorium or this... Um, outside arena that could seat 25,000. It was one of the biggest places where you could gather people together. Interesting, when the church was at its peak, it filled it. It's amazing, isn't it? Amazing. So we first see Ephesus is mentioned in the book of Acts. Acts 18, it says, this was during Paul's uh, end of his secondary mission. And he stops in Ephesus on his way home. And he meets up with um, Aquila and, and, and uh, Priscilla. And he has a brief meeting and says, I'll be back. See, the original I'll be back wasn't Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? But uh, it, was, uh, it was Paul saying, I'll be back. <coughs> so on his third missionary journey, Paul returns and spends three years there and builds and strengthens the church. <coughs> and the church just takes off. So while he's in prison, and this, this was back in between 52 and 55 AD, he come, he's in prison now, and, in, and this is like five years later, he decides to write a book. And it wasn't to Ephesus. So the book of Ephesians actually shouldn't be called the book of Ephesians. Because if you look at the original transcript, it says, to the saints in blank. And the very first one that they can find actually has Laodicea. And others have Ephesus and others are blank. And the reason this is different is that Paul's letters usually were personal because he knew the people, right? He knew the people. And he, like if you read uh, uh, Philippians, you can see Paul, how much he loved the people of, uh, of, of uh, Philippi. But in this case, he doesn't write a personal letter. This letter doesn't talk about how he knows somebody and how he's thankful for somebody. He's not personal at all. It's very much an academic type letter. <coughs> modern thinking and thinking is is that this was what we call a circular letter and it was designed to go around all the churches of Asia Minor which just happened to be most likely the seven churches mentioned in the book of um, uh, Revelations so Laodicea being one Tyra Tyra Sardis and that sort of stuff but we're going to call it Ephesians because the one that they found the most transcript with the most names on it was Ephesians. Uh, it was Ephesus, so they called it Ephesians. Okay, so the key scripture for Ephesians is in chapter 1, verse 10. It says, So the plan of the fullness of time, God will gather all things to him, bringing in uh, being in heaven and things on earth. God will draw all things together in unity. The letter is really split up and this is a, a key thing about the letters and if you understand um, the Bible you understand that the letters were written for a set structure <coughs> and all letters were written this way particularly Paul's the body of the letter is has a what we call a lengthy benediction basically it's the first three chapters is a benediction okay 
He has two prayers in there, but the body is in two parts. The first one is a theological reflection, so he's reflecting on who God is and Jesus is and the Holy Spirit, the triune God as we call it. And the next one is an ethical exaltation of how we should be as a church and how we as individuals within that church should be. And that's chapter 4 to chapter 6. But today we're only talking about chapter 1, okay? (laughs) But there's three main things that we see in the book of Ephesians, and they are that God has reconciled every creature to him and to God. Every creature. didn't matter whether you were Jew or Gentile, he was reconciling all people to him. The second one is that Christ will unite the people. So God calls Christ, unites the people of all the nations to himself and to become the church. The church wasn't an afterthought. The church was plan, God's plan A. It wasn't a plan B. It wasn't just because Jesus got crucified. It was always the plan. And the second one is through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will live as different people. And that's the three themes of Ephesians. Okay, so when we read in chapter, in chapter 1, we read here, and if we get the first verse up, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Whenever you read a letter in the Bible, you're reading a letter that was common to the first century. The first century letter would always start with who you are, what's your title. Okay, if you look at the book of Romans, Paul goes, I am Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, called... And he goes on for about seven verses about who, who he is. So that's the, the sender. And then you'll have who is the recipient of the letter. And so we see here, uh, to the saints who are in, remember, blank. But the idea was when it was read out in the church, you would put your church's name in there. So in this case, it would be Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. That's who he is. And the second part is to the saints who are at C3 Noosa, uh, and are faithful in Jesus Christ. So he then puts an exaltation on the end, okay? The second thing he does then is he would then give, and everyone who wrote a letter would give a thanks to the gods. But obviously as Christians, we would give only thanks to the God, okay? And so he says in verse 2, he says, Grace be to you, the peace of our God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is the gift that he gives us. Now, we go now through the next, I think it's 11 verses, which is one sentence. So, it's a very long sentence. <coughs> and this is about who, why we should be grateful to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he breaks it into three key parts. God the Father, then God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit on why we should be grateful. I'll sum it up in four things, five things you need to remember. Our election, that we've been elected, we've been chosen. We've been adopted, we've been redeemed, we have now have revelation, and we now have inheritance. And that's why we should be grateful. That's why we come to church. That's why we worship God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. I'll say them again, election, adoption, redemption, revelation, inheritance and those are over the next uh, 11 verses so we're going to look at first the work of God the Father which is our election and our adoption we read in verse 3 blessed be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in many spiritual blessings and he goes on to say who has blessed us 
in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, uh, heavenly places in Christ. Even as he has chosen us in him, I'm, I'm skipping through a few because it's a long book, all right? Even though he has, he has chosen us in him, that's our election, we now possess every spiritual gift. Not some. Now, who limits us? God doesn't limit us. What we read here is every spiritual gift. We limit ourselves. This is what Paul's exhortation is. We got God, the Father, who's given us all spiritual gifts. So we can sit there and pick which ones we want. You know, it's like you go to a, a lolly shop and they say, take whatever you like. Do we take everything? No, we go to the things that we think we like. You know what I mean? We, 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 we are from children selective instead of accepting everything. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, you know, I'm a policeman, but I can tell you I don't do everything a policeman does, right? I don't take fingerprints because I'd hate to do that. I did that. I did that for a day and a half, and I was supposed to do three days, uh, two days of it. And the guy said, "This is killing you, Walsh, isn't it?" And I said, "Too right." He said, "You can go home." That's when I was a first year. I, I just could. I said, "I can't see how you wake up in the morning and get excited about coming to work, <laughs> taking fingerprints and photographs." I couldn't think of anything worse. Shoot me now. So I definitely do not want the full blessing of the being a police officer. But why do we limit God? You know what I mean? And this is what, he, what Paul's really saying here. He says. And then he goes and he says, what shall be holy and blameless before him in love? We shall be blameless for him in love. We sit there and go, I'm not worthy enough, so I'm going to leave that on the table. You know what I mean? We leave it on the table. He's saying, no, we are blameless before him. I think of my kids, you know. My kids aren't perfect, but they have everything on the table that they want. They've got everything that's available even though uh, they sometimes do cause me strain. Especially when uh, you loan my daughter my car and she gets a ticket. Now I've got to go and get it, you know, hand it back over to her because I'm not taking the point. <laughs> we see here, we are predestined in us, adopted as sons, and we can add daughters in there, through Jesus Christ to himself. <coughs> we are adopted. And adopted today may be different but in the first century adopted meant that you could walk in the true blessings of the father who adopted you you had full inheritance full rights you had what we call fridge rights which means you can come to the house open the fridge and do whatever you want take whatever you want whenever you want however you want we don't sit on the couch waiting for us to be served we just go straight to the fridge and do it ourselves that's what god wants us to be not sitting there going father I hope he thinks I need a cup of tea and a biggie. No, he's going, get up and get it yourself. It's all there. You know, and we sometimes pray to God, God, where are you? Heavenly Father. And he's going, it's all there. It's in your hand. You have the power. Sometimes we limit us. And this is the great thing about the book of Ephesians. Okay. And to be praised for his glory in his glorious grace that we that in which he has blessed us in the beloved. He has accepted us. And this is why we come to church and worship. This is why we come because we know we have a God who has given us adoption. So we've been elected and we have been adopted, is why we should thank the Father. He goes on to say the work of God the Son in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. We don't have to wait until someone dies. He's already done it. He's already died. 
You know, that's the thing about inheritance, isn't it? Often we've got to wait for someone to die. Okay? Right? <clears throat> well, in this case, God is saying Jesus died on the cross for you and you now have the inheritance. We don't have to wait for anything. He says, according to his riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. These are not small redemptions or small forgiveness. They're not forgiveness which has a tag on it. You know what I mean? That's not forgiveness. That's a condition. That's a contract. God doesn't believe in contracts. He's saying, I open the doors. And then we see, and who has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insights. What we see here is that we are redeemed and we have revelation through knowing him more. Paul says in a great thing, he says, I was a Jew to the Jews. I was a Roman. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was this, I was that. He lists off all his credentials. He says, I counted all as done so that I could just know Jesus more. So no matter what you achieve in your life, all he cared about was knowing Jesus more. And how do we know that? Well, there are two things that I can think of. Study who Jesus is, and then just talk to him. And we call that studying the word and having a prayer. And prayer doesn't have to be, oh, Father, I often just sit on, the, on my deck on my veranda and I just look at nature and I just go, God, you are so amazing. You are freaking awesome. I just have a conversation like I'm having, he's right there. Because he is. You know what I mean? Just have a conversation. That's how you know him more. And we see that, we see the mystery of his will. In verse 9 we read, making known to us the, uh, the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. Sometimes that confuses us. As the plan of uh, the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In the fullness of time. Do you think that the church is just meant to be for individuals to come together so that we get our little fill, go away and live our normal lives? No, that's not the church. That is just being at, at AA meeting, right? That's just like being at, at, you know, all those other things. The church is about being a community under Christ. A community. The light on a hill. This is the vision I get of the church. The church is a light on the hill because we stand as a community under God to show the rest of the world how it can be done. This is how we're going to transform the world is when the church becomes so potent in the eyes of other people, they go, this is amazing. Nothing seen on earth. That is the role of the church. And this is what Paul tries to stretch us to. So not only in the fullness of time, in him we have obtained an inheritance. It's in that inheritance that we have. And that inheritance is that, and we read it in verse 13, in him you also, when you have heard the truth, trusted in that truth and you believed, and were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That is our inheritance, is the Holy Spirit. Now just think about that Holy Spirit for a moment. Just think about it. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Think about that. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. That's our inheritance. And it says, having believed, you are sealed. Now, how's that? Now, we don't really get too much about the seal these days, right? Okay. But in the old days, you would wear a ring, and in that ring would be a seal, okay? So what would happen is, you'd be walking down the street, 
And um, I, I've got one now. And, you know, it's like um, someone wants to, I want to talk to somebody and they go, who the heck do you think you are? And I go, look, I didn't want to do this, but Senior Constable Peter Wolf, Nambour Police. Now, <coughs> it's amazing when people see that badge, their whole attitude changes. What, why is that? Authority. I went to a lady and I said, look, I don't know if you should be parking in a taxi zone because it's a $267 uh, ticket. And she goes, well, I'm just staying here. And I said, because I can drive, you know, I don't know. I said, well, that might change your attitude. And it did. She drove off. <laughs> right? It's because when you have a seal, it gives you the authority of the person who gives you the seal. Right? And I got this from the Commissioner of Police. It just gets me into a lot of places. It's, uh, <laughs> um, it's pretty handy. That's why I always carry it, because you never know when you need it. I'll be a bit spewy when I have to give it up, but, you know, that's that. But what Christ is saying, that through our inheritance, we have now, because we have believed, we are now sealed. And we're sealed in the Holy Spirit. And that thing is, how often do we pull the seal out? You see, when the prodigal son came back to his father, the first thing he stuck on his finger was the ring, the ring of authority. We've been given that authority, and that's the, that's the inheritance that we have. But how often do we use it? When do we leave it on the, on the, on the bedroom table? Do we, have we packed it away? The seal of the Holy Spirit is our inheritance. <coughs> it says, having believed, you were sealed. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, we are guaranteed and we should praise his glory. So the first 14 verses was the introduction and the five things that we should be satisfied that we should worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our election, our adoption, our redemption, our revelation and our inheritance. And don't, that last, second last one, revelation. You know how many people I see, I was working last night, what a miserable night it was last night. People who have no idea why they're here. Drinking too much, doing too much drugs, just living lives that I would class as empty. And the point is, how much is that revelation of why you're here and what your purpose is, how much money is that worth? You know what I mean? Think about that for a moment. Just the fact that you can wake up in the morning knowing why you are here. Uh, that you are loved and that you are empowered. <coughs> that is really ultimately why we come to church. Not just on Sunday. Church should be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because we as a community of believers, and it says that if we do not help the household of faith first, our faith is in vain. Our first faith and our first actions should be to those in the household of faith. So we now look at the second part of chapter 1. And this is where Paul prays in light of God's ultimate plan. So before he was giving us a reason why we should be grateful, but now he's going to talk about the ultimate plan. In verse 15 we read, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all saints. Your love towards all saints. That's a, that's a challenge for us in the modern era. The love to all saints. You know what I mean? We should have a love 
that surpasses understanding for the saints. Saints in need is our first port of call. I heard a message once from a lousy preacher. He was not, he, he's, uh, you won't mind me saying it, he's passed away, unfortunately. Great man, had a great passion, lousy preacher. <laughs> great pastor, lousy preacher. That doesn't mean you know, every pastor can preach. Uh, but he preached one message, which probably was the most outstanding message I've ever heard. And he said, and he was hopeless. He, 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 he turned up to a me- pastor's meeting an hour and a half late. He was always late because there'd be someone, flat tire, there'd be some reason. He, he met someone at the street, someone was needing prayer at, ch- at the hospital. Uh, didn't matter what he was doing, he was always late to most things. <coughs> and anyway, he, he said one thing in his message, and I'll never forget it, it's probably the most profound thing, was, do you live an interruptible life for the cause of Christ? And when I thought about it, I went, we don't. And Ainsley and I were challenged by that. We don't. And I can tell you now, it doesn't matter what is happening uh, in someone's life. If I know about it, it doesn't matter how busy my life is, and people think I live a busy life, there is time to always love the saints. More than anything else, our first port of call, according to Paul, is have faith in Jesus and love the saints. Because it's in the loving of the saints and the faith in Jesus Christ that's going to show the world what the church actually is meant to be. I do not cease in giving thanks and remembering you in my prayers. Here he's saying, I am grateful for you being a church that is the church. Not a group of people who are self-serving and self-absorbed. You know... Old JFK said it, he summed it up pretty good actually, when he said, don't ask what the church can do for you, ask what you can do for the church. How many people have left church because the church didn't do this for me? Instead of making, if the church has got a gap, fill the gap. That's what it is. The second greatest message I ever heard was um, from Dave Fenton, a great man of faith. And he said to me, he said his message was, find a gap and fill it. Tommy Barnett also said that, who went and started the Dream Center in Los Angeles and started a passion. He did more from when he was six, from 65 onwards than he did in the 50 years of ministry before that. Find a need and fill it. The church is the answer, but you are also the answer to the church. Think about that. So if you want to sign up, sign up. Um, <laughs> uh, in verse 17, it says... I give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The spirit of wisdom that will then give you revelation. In the knowledge of him. And think about that. We need to get wisdom of the knowledge of him. We can't rest on our one example of life. You know I mean? We can't rest on the fact that he may have healed us once. We need to go deeper. We need to go further. We need to spend time in just understanding who Jesus is. And when we do that, our life will become so much more rich. One of the greatest things I ever did was I went and did um, my master's in theology. And that was like um, a $30,000 experience. But what it did was, I was thought I was a study of the word, but that teaching was unbelievable. And it just, I realized the more I looked, the less I knew. And then you just go, I felt like I knew a lot. And then I realized I knew very little. 
and then I'm, and as the more you dig, you realize, wow, this is getting bigger. You know, it's like that. It's like the Matrix. You know, you go, whoa. You know, because you're thinking that you're looking at this, and all of a sudden it's going like this. You go, my head's out. My head's out of below. And what it's done is it's made my belief in who Jesus is, and the power of the Holy Spirit unshakable, regardless of my circumstances unshakable whether I live or whether I die that's why Paul could say that I am the Lord's because he just knew that he knew that he knew who he was who he was in and what he was called for and that comes from studying the word of God we see in verse 18 having the eyes of your heart enlightened what is the hope in which he was called he has called you which are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. We've got to believe. And now, unfortunately, our word believe is being watered down. But if you have a look at the word believe, means to trust in, to be obedient to. As Amanda was saying, obedience is believing. Believing is having hope a hope in, a faith, confidence that we know who he is. And then we read in verse 19, according to the works of his might, seated on him in the right hand in heavenly places, this mighty power. And interesting, he says now, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Where did I say those words came from? Artemis. Artemis had those four words on her skirt. Rule, authority, power, and dominion. What Paul was saying here was, the God we worship is greater than all of that. So we are not worshipping a God that lacks substance. And he finally finishes in verse 22, 23, and he says, and he's put all things under his feet. Now, if God has put all things under his feet and Christ has redeemed us and gave us revelation and our inheritance is the power of the Holy Spirit and the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead who now has everything under his feet, where do you think we sit? Are we willing to just accept that? And that's the hard bit because our mind is now going in the back going, am I worthy? Have I got it? You know, a young 12-year-old walked up to Bayless Connolly, who was a drug addict and a bikie, and with confidence said, Jesus loves you, and had a conversation with a 12-year-old, radically changed his life, and has Cottonwood Church in America with tens of thousands of people attending. A 12-year-old boy had the confidence to step out in faith and declare who he was in to a person he did not even know. Could you imagine the guy who preached to Billy Graham? You know, walked out in confidence. You know, we've got to understand that the power that we have been given, the church, which is his body, in the likeness of him. We read that, which in his body has fulfilled in him all all fill all in all we are his body good thing about a body is we don't all want to be the kidney do we right someone's got to be the kidney who wants to be the kidney 
Someone's got to be the spleen. Uh, I'd like to be the vocal cords. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, whatever. But, you know, the good thing about the body is this, is that we all play a different part. We all have a different purpose. And it's in that purpose that we, God has given each one of us that we as a community of believers can not just come here and feel good and go home and live our routine lives, but we as a body of believers can shape the universe. Now, I was a funeral director for uh, 14 years. So I've seen a lot of dead people and I've been to a lot of funerals. And very rarely did I ever walk away from a funeral going, I wish I had known that person. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Because you sit down and you listen to them and you can tell the essence of the person by what people said about them. And you sit there and you go, you know, I remember what, what I was uh, asked to be on the uh, Sawiri Dunlop funeral. All right, Sawiri Dunlop, if you don't know who he is, he's on the 50 cent piece. So that's pretty impressive if you get to make it the 50 cent piece. He was Australian of the Year in 1977. But his name is called, that most people will remember him as the Christ of Burma. He was a doctor, just a simple doctor. Played rugby for Australia, mind you, in the 1920s. But he was a simple doctor in Singapore when Singapore fell in 1942. He was on the ship to sail back to Australia. And he said, those poor guys are going to need a surgeon. So he got off to safety and became a POW for the next three and a half years. The, the, the thing about him was, was that he was beaten because he was so big and because he was the highest ranking, he was a colonel. And most people would say a doctor's not a real army officer, right, because they're just doctors. But the, the Japs punished him. And he would get out of his punishment and then he would go to his makeshift surgery and amputate legs and, and, and save lives. There was a guy who he'd lost both of his arms uh, and, um, uh, from, from an explosion. And uh, the Japs were going to kill him because he was useless, couldn't work. And Sawiri Dunlop stood in front of the firing squad and said, you'll shoot me first. Saved his life. And when he became Australian of the Year, sung that song, There's Room on My Horse for Two, which he dedicated to Swiri Dunlop. The reason I'm saying this is that sometimes we've got to step out and we've just got to take a risk. And sometimes that risk is not going to be pleasant. It could be three and a half years in a prison of war camp. You know what I mean? But the thing is, I sat in his funeral and I drove the family behind the hearse and 45,000 people lined the streets. And the honour that man was bestowed, who was a humble doctor, no one really of significance. Nobody who, you know, would how many surgeons have died since then that nobody remembers. But God has called us for a purpose. And he's called us to live out that purpose. And that is what the church is. The church is unified together as one. For a common purpose but different applications of that purpose on how we can further the cause of Christ in Noosa as a church of unity. If you're going to read the rest of Ephesians, you're going to cop it. You're going to cop on how the church should be, how we should be as husbands and wives, how we should be as masters and slaves, how we should be uh, male to female, how we should be within our community. 
It's not about going quietly into the night, but it's about standing for what God has called us to be. So reread chapter 1. Be thankful for your inheritance. Be thankful for the revelation, the redemption, your adoption and your election. And be grateful for all things that God has done because he has a plan for you. And that's in chapters 2 to 6. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.